Overcoming Deficits, The Two Disciples When we study the lives of Peter and John, we learn that both men had deficits, but there is a striking difference in how they tried to overcome them. Peter sought to overcome his deficit by proving his value, while John overcame his by resting in the Lord. Let's begin by understanding their deficit, described in Acts 4, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Yeshua. The first deficit we find is that both men were uneducated. People who are uneducated often suffer from feelings of inadequacy and inferiority among those who are. They have a persistent need to prove their value. This sense of inadequacy and inferiority leads us to the second deficit found in Peter, not John, and is the explanation for why the two handled their deficits so differently. Matthew 4, verses 18 through 22 says, And Yeshua, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. What was missing from Peter's life at that time that John had in his? A father. Proverbs 17, verse 6 says, Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. In other words, how people treat the father is how they will treat his child. This truth is confirmed by Christ's statement in John 5, verses 22 through 23, New American Standard Bible. For not even the father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the son so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. See also John 12, verse 44, and the parable of the landowner's vineyard in Matthew 21, verses 33 through 41. The Father's active presence in the child's life confirms that they are supposed to be alive and have a purpose in the world. He is their identity. In ancient Jewish culture, the occupation of the father was typically passed down to their child. Joseph, Yeshua's father, was a carpenter, Matthew 13, verse 5. So Yeshua was a carpenter, Mark 6, verse 3. Zebedee was a fisherman, so John was a fisherman, Matthew 4, verses 21 through 22. There is a profound peace and security that comes from knowing how we're meant to function and what we are supposed to accomplish in this life because we have a father to lead us. As an earthly father provides his children with the blessing of an identity, so our heavenly father imparts his identity to us who are his children through faith in his son. He models for us how we are to think, speak, and behave in this world by the example of Christ. Philippians 2 verse 5. He gives us jobs to perform designated by the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11, and the opportunity to perform them, Ephesians 2, verse 10. 
However, when a child does not have a father, they feel compelled to create an identity and seek their own glory to justify their existence. Peter is an outstanding example of this truth. We will review three instances of his identity-creating-slash-glory-seeking behavior in the Gospels and learn the telltale signs of people with deficits. Instance 1, Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. In Matthew 17, verses 2-6, through six, we read of Peter, James, and John being taken up on a mountain by Christ to behold something the world has never seen before, the revelation of Christ's inner holiness, beauty, and majesty. The story goes, And after six days Yeshua taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter, and said unto Yeshua, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Sign 1. Peter said unto Yeshua, Let us make here three tabernacles. While he yet spake, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son. Hear ye him. The first sign that a believer has a deficit is that they want to work when God wants them to listen. This behavior of esteeming work over listening to God comes from their deep-seated need to show their worth to others, and working is a natural outlet for them to prove themselves. Hence, they will work even when it is contrary to the will of God. They must always be involved in some Christian activity, because if not, they will feel worthless. This deficit has representation in the story of Mary and Martha in Luke 10, verses 38-42, and John 12, verses 1 through 3. Luke 10, verses 38 through 42 states, Now it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Yeshua's feet, and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Yeshua answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Mary is a picture of the believer with no deficit. She could enjoy listening to Christ undistracted because she had nothing to prove. Martha, on the other hand, is a picture of a believer with a deficit like Peter's, who feel compelled to work because they have something to prove. Mary offered Yeshua nothing but her ears to hear the word of God, preparing her for a later work, while Martha provided anxious service that she complained to the Lord about doing. Yeshua praised Mary's offering over Martha's, teaching her the principle of listen first, work second. Martha missed this opportunity, but she would be allowed a second chance in John 12, verses 1 through 3, which states, 
Then Yeshua, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Yeshua, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Martha missed the opportunity again, offering Christ work first instead of listening. But because Mary listened first, she offered Christ the right work. We learn in Mark 14, verse 9, that the world will forever commemorate Mary's work as it will be required teaching wherever men preach the gospel. On the contrary, no one will teach what Martha cooked those nights for dinner. Her heart was well-intentioned, but she missed the call. The need is not the call. We return now to Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. Sign 2, Matthew 17, verse 5. While he yet spake, a voice out of the cloud said, The second sign that a believer has a deficit is that they talk when God is talking. The deficit in them is screaming so loud that it drowns out the voice of God in their heart, hindering the leadership of the Holy Spirit who speaks to our conscience. Hebrews 9 verse 14. They regularly say, God said this, God told me to do that, or God showed me this, when it is actually their voice speaking from their deficit. How we know this to be true is that nothing God showed them and told them ever works out. Instance 2. Peter's response to Yeshua's warning that the disciples would fall away in Matthew 26, verses 31-35. through 35. Then saith Yeshua unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet I will never be offended. Sign 3 A believer with a deficit not only strives to prove their worth by doing good works, so they can be seen and praised, but also by acting superior to others. They are super-Christians, who never face nor succumb to the same temptations of ordinary Christians. Fault-finding and belittling others are common practices of theirs because they must keep the deficit covered with a false sense of self-esteem. These are the kind who only talk to the leaders of the fellowship— the important people, and have no time for the simpletons of the flock. Instance 3. Peter's response to Yeshua being led away to the chief priests in John 18, verses 3 through 11. In this passage, Yeshua is betrayed by Judas Iscariot and is preparing to be led away by a band of soldiers to his eventual execution, as he forewarned in John 13. He also gave advanced warning in Matthew 26, verses 21 through 33, that all the disciples would fall away, which Peter denied. Now, in John 18, verses 10 through 11, to prove his deficit right and Christ wrong, Peter fights against the will of God to demonstrate his loyalty to Christ. He assaults one of the soldiers with his sword and cuts off his ear. This impulse to demonstrate loyalty uncovers another sign of believers with deficits. Sign 4. Believers with deficits are always trying to take up someone else's offenses to prove their loyalty to that person. 
They seize on every piece of gossip and wade into every problem of the person they are loyal to, even though these issues have nothing to do with them. They inflame problems and contribute nothing to their resolution. Then somebody else must come behind them and clean up their mess, as Christ did for Peter by healing the soldier's ear in Luke 22, verses 50 through 51. For believers with deficits, reality will eventually set in. Christ always tests their dramatic acts and boastful words of devotion and proves them to be a sham meant to impress others. In Matthew 26, verses 57 through 58, for instance, when the soldiers led Christ away to Caiaphas, the high priest, Peter followed afar off. In Matthew 26, verses 69 through 75, and Mark 14, verses 66 through 72, we learn that maids and bystanders caused Peter to deny Christ three times and call down curses on himself. Even after the humiliating denial that exposed the deficit and his restoration in John 21, verses 15 through 18, in this same passage, Peter confesses to the Lord that he does not love him above everything, but only as a friend. John 21, verses 15 through 18 says, So when they had dined, Yeshua saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest agape, thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love phileo thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest agape thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love phileo thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest phileo thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest phileo thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love phileo thee. Yeshua saith unto him, Feed my sheep. When Yeshua asked Peter if he loved him, the word for love he used was agape, which is the highest form of love. It is popularly understood to mean unconditional love, but throughout the scripture it is used to describe someone who prizes someone above all other things, be unwilling to abandon them or do without them. Thayer's Greek-English lexicon G25, agape. It is also used to describe the love of a servant for a master, denoting affectionate reverence, prompt obedience, and grateful recognition of benefits received. Thayer's Greek lexicon. But Peter's response to Christ's inquiry of love was not agape, but phileo, which means to have affection for a friend. Strong's Concordance lexicon, G5368, phileo. This means that when Christ asked Peter twice if he loved him with the highest love, Peter responded that he only loved him as a friend. Therefore, when Christ asked Peter the third time if he loved him, Yeshua used the word phileo instead of agape, which indicates that Christ settled for the love Peter had for him as a friend. Verse 15 of John 21, verses 15 through 18, was Peter's opportunity to humble himself, confess that he had a deficit, and be delivered. But instead, he still considered himself superior to the other apostles in his love for Christ. When Christ asked Peter, Lovest thou me more than these? Peter responded with yes, 
signifying that the deficit remained even after God let him fall. Despite the pronouncement of Peter's deficits during Christ's ministry, Christ counted Peter among the clean disciples. John 13, verses 10 through 11. He was clean because he was a believer who acted out of his deficit unwillingly and became a mighty man of God. We read in Acts chapter 2 how Peter preached the inaugural message of the church and 3,000 Jewish souls came to Christ. He won countless thousands more to Christ, performing many miraculous signs, and wrote two divinely inspired books. But Peter could not have accomplished any of those things until he dealt with the deficit in his heart. God wanted him to deal with himself instead of feigning devotion to cover up the wound. This act of pride is why God let him fall and why he often lets us fall. He wants us to be free from all pretenses so we can genuinely heal. Then our ministry will be effective. Contrasting with Peter is the Apostle John. He had the same deficit as Peter, but overcame by seeking closeness to the Lord. Though having a father imparted identity to John, it did not make him the perfect disciple. He once attempted to prove himself to Christ in Luke 9, verses 51 through 56, and was rebuked. Afterward, he learned the lesson that the goal of our salvation is not to prove anything to anyone, but to be close to Christ. It is closeness to Christ that heals our wound, and if we are close to Him, the works will follow. John 13, verses 21 through 23, captures how John adopted this principle. When Yeshua had thus said, He was troubled in spirit, and testified, and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Yeshua's bosom one of his disciples whom Yeshua loved. John resting on Christ's bosom is only one instance of his closeness to the Master. John was the only disciple out of the twelve to follow Christ into the temple and be present with him at the cross. John 18 verses 15 through 16 and John 19, verses 25 through 27. John was so close to Yeshua that Yeshua entrusted his mother to John's care. John 19, verses 26 through 27. Moreover, John was the only apostle given the wondrous book of Revelation, which bestows a special blessing on those who read it. Revelation 1, verse 3. Glorious intimacy was the outcome of his closeness to Christ. Let us also pursue closeness, and we will achieve victory over our deficits through Christ.